0: Jesus and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt together stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foreman appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten. But the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that is what you are. Lazy, that is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, "'May the Lord look upon you and judge you. "'You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials "'and have put a sword in their hand to kill us.' "'Moses returned to the Lord and said, "'O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? "'Is this why you sent me? "'Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, "'he has brought trouble upon this people, "'and you have not rescued your people at all.' "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Now you will see what I do to Pharaoh.' Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, I, but by my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? since I speak with faltering lips. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was eighty-three years old, and Aaron eighty-eighty years old, and Aaron eighty-three when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let's,
1: Let's pray, dear Lord and Heavenly Father. We uh, thank you that. Uh, it's a, it's a joy uh, and not an obligation to hear you speak to us in your words. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as we reflect on uh, these words from Exodus and what you did in the lives of your people, that you would encourage us in our faith and strengthen us to trust you uh, with all our heart and to follow Jesus. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. I don't know if anyone much here follows what happens in uh, in Sydney, but over the last couple of years, there's been a major construction work going on in the city of, of Sydney, where uh, in a number of the main streets in and around the city centre, they've been installing light rail along, uh, along the streets. You know, they tore it up 50 years ago, whatever it was, and now they've decided to put it back in again. Uh, but quite a number of businesses have been adversely affected by the construction work, and it's led to... Uh, problems uh, in the amount of business that they've been doing. Uh, And once the idea is that once the rail project is complete, that business will, of course, get back to normal. And hopefully, I guess, even that business will increase, that more people will be moving through these areas, uh, and that the revenue will uh, will get better. But that's not without some kind of pain in the immediate term. Uh, One cafe owner on George Street in the middle of Sydney Uh, said that their revenue had fallen by 30% uh, since construction had started. Uh, Another restaurant further out had lost $100,000 before it finally decided to close its doors. The owner of that uh, restaurant said, it's uprooted our whole life. Our revenue was so low and we were unable to pay the rent. We liquidated our business and had to move out of our house because we couldn't afford to uh, to rent. We are now living with family. Uh, Sometimes in life, like in this situation, things get worse before they get better. Uh, And that's the kind of experience that Moses has here in this chapter in Exodus. God's called him to lead his people out from under slavery uh, and to freedom. And it sounds like such a good plan, doesn't it? Who doesn't want freedom? But here in this chapter, things seem to get worse rather than better. And that's helpful, I think, for us, because sometimes that's the experience of our lives as well. Things aren't always on this kind of upward slope, they're not always improving. Sometimes things are bad, and they just seem to get worse, and worse, and worse, and worse. But these events in these chapters in Exodus help us to grow, I think, a big trust in God, even in the face of unexpected Disappointments and challenges. Uh, If you weren't here last week, Steve preached on Exodus chapter 3 and 4 and how God had commissioned Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and out from under slavery uh, at the hands of the Egyptians. Moses was a very reluctant messenger and he did everything in his power to avoid doing what God had asked him to do. But finally, at the beginning of uh, this chapter, Moses does what God had told him to do. He summons up his trust in God and he goes to Pharaoh with, uh, with Aaron. And Aaron says to Pharaoh in verse 1 This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Let my people go. Let them go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And what does Pharaoh say? Well, basically, Pharaoh says, well, who do you think you are? Verse 2, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know who he is. Who who, Who is he that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I won't let Israel go. Finally, Moses summons up the courage to get there, to get in front of Pharaoh. He does what God's told him to do, and Pharaoh doesn't want to listen. And actually, worse than that, Pharaoh doesn't just say, well, get out of my sight, I don't want to see you anymore. Pharaoh actually makes things worse. He decides to get back at uh, Moses and Aaron by afflicting the people. He tells the slave drivers to not provide the Israelites with the straw that they need anymore for making the bricks. And the catch is that they still need to make the same number of bricks every day that they were making before. So now they have to collect the resources that they need to do their work, and they have to do all the same work that they were doing previously. You get a sense of just how problematic that is in verse 12 where it says, so the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for the straw. That is, it's not as though, oh, we need some straw, we'll just collect the straw that's lying around here in the kind of the brick-making yard. They have to scatter all over the land of Egypt to find the straw that they need in order to make these bricks. And when they don't achieve the quotas, the slave drivers beat uh, they're overseas and they demand, why aren't you meeting your quota? It's brutal. It's the kind of response from Pharaoh that's intended to scare people off ever asking uh, for mercy again. Uh, I, I watched a few weeks ago, I watched Schindler's List, which is a, a great but awful film, isn't it? Um, uh, and in that, you know, there's the camp, the camp commandant. Uh, and that's the kind of character that he was. You ask for mercy? You get, you get. The, the, what you get back is, is brutality, and so that nobody ever asks for mercy ever again. That's the kind of man that this Pharaoh was. And at the end of all, uh, all of this, we find Moses dispirited. <laughs> what are you going to do? I can't, I can't go back to Pharaoh because last time I asked for something, things only got worse. How is, how is God's plan worked out? He says to God, basically, what are you doing? What's going on? Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Is this the purpose of my mission? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. You can imagine what Moses was thinking coming back from this meeting with Pharaoh. He's thinking to himself, well, I didn't want to go in the first place. I knew this wouldn't be a good idea. And here it is, I've finally got, gone, God's twisted my arm, I've gone, I've met with Pharaoh, and it's it's turned out exactly how I thought it was going to turn out. I said it wouldn't work, God, and it hasn't. Well, you and I uh, have not been visited by God like Moses was in a burning bush, and we haven't been commissioned by God to lead his people out of captivity and yet we have in a sense like Moses being called to to uh, love and follow Jesus to give our lives in service to him and the same kind of doubt and uncertainty which afflicted Moses can afflict us when we commit ourselves as well to doing what God calls us to do in Jesus when we commit ourselves to doing that and it doesn't work out the Bible calls us to follow Jesus in all kinds of ways and it can be dispiriting and it can make us angry with God even when we commit ourselves to doing those things and it doesn't, and it doesn't kind of work out for us. I don't know if you've ever had that experience uh, of feeling convicted by God uh, that, or convicted that God has called you to do something, uh, to serve God in a particular way. Uh, to follow God, to follow Christ in a particular way, you feel convicted to do that, you kind of put your shoulders to the wheel to do it, and you only see it fail. And maybe like Moses, it's taken, you know, God years to get you to that point, to finally put up your hand to, to serve God in that way, because you felt inadequate or you felt ill-equipped. You finally do what God wants, what God's calling you to do, and it ends in catastrophe. And you think to yourself, well, what was the point of that? I knew this wouldn't work. Uh, maybe it's Jesus' call to love our neighbour. Maybe you're seeking to put that into practice at the moment. You really kind of... That's thats a big focus for you at the moment. Uh, and God has uh, put a person in your life to love, but that person is, is actually making your life... A misery you've set your mind and your heart and your will to to be a blessing to that person uh, but they're actually just kind of <laughs> sucking your life dry or maybe it's god's call to, to to kill off some kind of sin in your life you know god's lead, led you by a hard road to the conclusion that you need to do that uh, and so by god's grace you're seeking to crucify sin and to live to christ and you think to yourself well this is going to make my life better isn't it you know killing off sin and following jesus this is going to end uh this is going to end well but actually maybe your experience is the moment that at least at first anyway your life is is more difficult not more joyful or maybe it's god's call to share the gospel with people You realise that God has called all of us, as Christians, as believers, to share the good news about what Jesus has done with other people. And so you've committed to doing that. And you finally summon up the courage to to do that more and more. But it actually, it ends badly. And the person that you you speak with shuts you down. And at the end of the conversation, the only thing you know for certain is that this relationship is probably not going to be the same as it ever, ever has been before. And you think to yourself, well, God, I knew this wasn't going to work. Or maybe God calls you into mission or ministry, or he calls someone that you know or someone that you love or someone that you're supporting into mission and ministry, and you're there and you're supporting them and you're praying for them, you're, you're pouring money and time into the, the work uh, in this person's life. And at the end of it, there seems to be very little fruit. A handful of conversions, Maybe. Or it might even be embracing the gospel for ourselves. That is, God comes to us with the offer of free forgiveness in, in, in the death of Jesus. He offers us a place in his family through Christ when we were his enemies. He offers us life and hope and peace and joy uh, and, and fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've received that gift, you've entrusted your life to Jesus, you've, you've given your life to Him, and, and, and now you're looking at your life and you're, you're thinking to yourself, what was the point of this? God, I've taken up this call to follow Jesus, to entrust my life to Him, but where are the benefits? My life isn't, isn't all fixed And in all those situations we come away I think in the same same situation as Moses. Well what was the point of that? God God what are you doing? I've heard your call I put it into practice but what was the point? Where are you Lord? But Moses' experience here in Exodus uh, chapter 5 and 6 reminds us that God's call on our lives doesn't necessarily come with the ironclad guarantee that the moment we set our uh, shoulder to the wheel, the moment we open our mouths, the moment we set ourselves to do what God has called us to do, there's no guarantee that the moment that we do that, that everything will work out 100%. There's no guarantee even that the moment that we give ourselves to, 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 to Jesus, that we entrust ourselves to him, there's no guarantee that our lives from that moment will be 100% okay. That's not written anywhere. Jesus says that in following him, there's a cross to be taken up. And there's hardship. He said that following him means accepting persecution and opposition. So take sharing the gospel as an example of, of, of what, uh, what can happen. God never says that that will be 100% successful, first time every time. But God calls us to speak to people about Jesus and to share the good news. But He doesn't guarantee that's an unmitigated success. In fact, the Bible often tells us that there will be opposition and resistance. Uh, So when God called the Apostle Paul to a worldwide ministry to the Gentiles, He commissioned him with these words I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. (laughs) It's It's not on the contract. Uh, that most people have for mission and ministry. I most people sign up on the dotted line uh, to follow Christ. That's not what most people envisage. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And of course, the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ, sent to do a great work of God, the greatest work of God, sent to do miracles, to testify that he was the Son of God and God himself. And what happened? He was strung up on a cross. But if the death of Jesus shows just how bad things can get, the resurrection of Jesus shows us that no matter how bad they get, God always wins. And that even the worst catastrophe is not outside the plan and purpose and the power of God. They did what God God had determined beforehand should happen. And the mistake for us is, when we look at our failure or our lack of success... And we see that as a reason to give up on the call that God has on our lives. So, God calls us in the gospel to follow Jesus, and we try that, or we try an aspect of that out in our lives, and it doesn't work. We try it once, it doesn't work, and we give up. But the fact that God's call in our lives is not always attended by spectacular or immediate success doesn't mean that God hasn't called us to, to follow Jesus or to follow Jesus in that way, it may just mean, as for Moses, that we have to wait. Moses' uh, initial foray into international diplomacy ended badly. But God did eventually lead the people out of Egypt. And Jesus' mission to save the world seemed to end badly with the disciples scattered and the Messiah crucified. But actually, a few days later, it led to the redemption of an entire world of people who entrusted their lives to Jesus and brought the hope of resurrection for all those who trust in Christ. Although it can be dispiriting for us when things don't work out, we need to trust that God is wise enough and big enough that what he calls us to do will work out for our good and for his glory. So Moses, uh, God calls Moses to be this messenger and and Pharaoh doesn't receive that message and the situation for Israel gets worse. But actually, then in the second part of chapter 5, the situation gets worse not only for Israel but also for Moses as well. Uh, So in verse 15 and following, uh, we're told how the Israelite overseers go to Pharaoh to appeal to him about this increased Workload. They say to Pharaoh, basically, look, we're doing what we can. It's not our fault. It's actually the slave drivers' fault. It's your people's fault. Uh, it's impossible for us to do what you're asking us to do. But their plan backfires, and Pharaoh accuses them of laziness. So in verse 17, lazy. That's what you are. You're lazy. That's why you keep saying, "Let's go and sacrifice to the Lord." Now get to work. You'll not have straw. You must. Produ- you not have any straw. You must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite leaders, the overseers, the foremen hear that. They know that they're in trouble. And then they go outside and who do they find waiting for them but Moses and Aaron? And they let loose. They say to them, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So here's Moses God's supposedly appointed servant, called in this miraculous way out of a burning bush. He's gone to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hasn't listened. That was bad enough. He comes, you know, he's waiting outside for the leaders. They come out and and now they accuse him of making their lives more difficult. The very people he's been sent to save have rejected him again and are calling on God to judge him. May the Lord look on you and judge you. Talk about (laughs) crushing reception of of, of an attempt to to help people. And in the same way, I think if one of our great causes of discouragement in following Jesus is, is the failure of those things that we set out to do in following Christ... Perhaps an even greater cause of discouragement, I think, is when those people around us reject us specifically because of what we've done in trying to follow Christ. Or, or worse, as, as here, when we're rejected by the very people that God has sent us to help. It's so discouraging, isn't it? Not only to try things for, for Christ and for that to fail, but to be rejected by the very people that God has sent us to help. Uh, Peter Adam, um, the former principal of Ridley College in Melbourne, was once asked at a minister's conference for senior ministers. So these are guys who have been in the game for a long time. uh, And someone asked him this question, Will I bear the scars of ministry for all eternity? (laughs) Let's talk about sucking the life out of the room. Will I bear the scars of ministry for all eternity? That is, this man was saying that he'd taken up God's call to minister, that's what God had called him to do, uh, but that ministry had brought him immense suffering. And it had brought him immense suffering, not from the world outside, not from the people outside the church, but actually the suffering had come from the people in the church, from the very people that God had called him to minister to. Now, I, should, I should just reassure you, this is not a veiled criticism uh, <laughs> of this church, uh, but it's the reality of people of all of us actually, uh, called to ministry in different ways in Christ's kingdom. Uh, that for most people, serving Jesus takes the same shape as Moses' ministry took uh, and the same shape as Jesus' ministry took. That is, rejected by the very people to whom he was sent. I read the other day about the ministry of Charles Simeon um, I don't know if you have heard of Charles Simeon but uh, he was a pastor in England uh, and at the age of 23 he was appointed as a minister of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge. A prestigious appointment uh, you would think. But a significant number of the congregation at that church didn't actually want him to be there. So the The hierarchy of the Church of England, of the Anglican Church, uh, had appointed him to that church. But the wardens of the church didn't really want him to be there. And the the members of the congregation didn't want him to be there. And so the wardens of the church refused to unlock the pews on Sunday morning so that people could get into the pews in order to listen to the preaching. Uh, And they refused, point blank, to open the building during the week so that Simeon could carry out the rest of his ministry then as well. So his ministry consisted of, imagine this, whoever could fit into the aisles of the church on Sunday morning and whoever could fit into his house during the week. And you know uh, how Charles Simeon responded to that? Uh, He responded by persevering in that church for 54 years. It's astonishing, isn't it? And over that time, God slowly changed the people and the circumstances in that church. But those realities are not true, are not only true just for the Moseses and the Charles Simeons, but it's true for, for all of us engaged in ministry and serving Jesus and serving others and seeking to build others up in the faith. So you might take on a month of teaching Sunday school uh, and you do it because you love the children, and you want them to know Christ, um, and you begin with a heart set on on serving them and serving Jesus. And then you get into the classroom. What do you find? Well, you find that maybe the kids actually don't really want to rec- receive your ministry. They're actually m- more interested in what's going on uh, out the window, uh, or, or in, in mucking up. Or, or you find that actually you, you put your heart into it and... And other teachers or, or the parents of children don't actually like the ministry that you're doing uh, and complain about how you do things. Uh, and, and, the, and sometimes it's true that, that criticisms are valid and constructive and we need to listen to that. But other times people just fail to receive good ministry uh, in the service of Jesus just like the people of Israel failed to receive the ministry of Moses. They failed to receive the ministry of the very man that God had raised up. And it can happen as a parent too. Uh, There's no question if you're a parent that God has called you to, to ministry, to minister to your children, to serve Jesus and to serve them by raising them to know Christ, discipling them in the faith. But that loving and often costly service is not always received in the way that you might hope. Uh, It can be received with bitterness uh, and resentment or frustration. And that's draining, isn't it? It's draining to set your heart to a good purpose and a good intent. It's draining to to pour yourself out in love for other people and for that to be rejected. And sometimes it's not just received with bitterness and resentment, but sometimes it can be received with indifference. Which actually can be just as draining, I think, can't it? Just People just don't care. You, you love people, you love your children, and they just don't care. But that reception of your loving service of Jesus says nothing about whether God has called you to do that ministry and to serve Jesus and those people in that way. Of course, if you're a parent, of course God's called you to that ministry. There's no question about that. You don't need to ask whether or not he has. He has. Just like he called Moses to service, and Moses' service was not made illegitimate by the fact that the people of Israel didn't receive his ministry. And Jesus, God's own son, was called to service. To service by dying for us on a cross. And Jesus' service was not made illegitimate because we refused to receive it. So God calls Moses to be this messenger. Pharaoh doesn't receive his message. The people of Israel don't receive the message. And so at the end of chapter 5, Moses is dispirited. He returns to God and says, what are you doing? I don't understand. And what follows in chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7 is basically a a long speech from God where God reassures Moses uh, and says, look, I promised promised what I've promised and I'm going to do it. And you need to tell the people of Israel that I've promised to do this and I'm going to do it. So verse 6, Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. That's the message. And the people of Israel don't listen. They're so discouraged by what's happened with Moses' first attempt that they just can't believe it. All they can see is what's in front of them. More work and no resources. And Moses is struggling to believe God as well. God sends Moses back to Pharaoh, but Moses says to God, well, if the people won't listen, then why would Pharaoh? <laughs> if even your own people aren't going to listen to me, what's Pharaoh going to do? And then at the, end of, at the beginning of chapter 7, God says to Moses, well, actually, Pharaoh isn't going to listen. I'm sending you back, and he's not going to listen at all. Uh, and that's the plan. That's actually my plan. My plan is that things are going to get harder. Pharaoh is not going to listen. But you need to trust me that I'm going to do what I promised. He's not going to listen. But you've got to trust me. God's calling on Moses to exercise enormous trust, isn't he? He's calling him to look beyond the present reality and to trust that he'll do what he's promised in the end. He's calling on Moses to trust that God will keep his word, no matter what happens and no matter what seems to go wrong. That's certainly true with respect to Moses' ministry. That is the thing that will keep moses persevering keep moses going back to pharaoh keep moses presenting god's demands keep moses weathering the opposition of pharaoh keep moses enduring the criticism of uh, of of his own people the thing that will enable moses to keep going uh, and doing those things is his trust that god will actually do what he says that will help him to persevere his trust in god that god will do what he says but it's important i think that we see here that Ultimately, what God is calling Moses to trust is not that God will use Moses in ministry. That's not the thing that Moses needs to trust. He doesn't need to, before he goes in to meet with Pharaoh again, he doesn't need to say to himself, I trust that God can use me in ministry. What he needs to say to himself before he goes in to meet with Pharaoh again is, I trust that God will do what he's promised. I trust that God will save his people just as he said he will. What Moses, what will keep Moses going is not the knowledge that God can use him, but the knowledge that God would really save a people for himself. That is, this is not about us, primarily and about how God can use us. It's about God's great plan to save his people from Egypt. And ultimately it's about God's great gospel plan to save a people for himself through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. The most important thing that we need to know is not that God can use us in ministry, although he can and he does, and and that's helpful to know, isn't it? It's encouraging to know that. But the most important thing that we need to know is that God will do what he's promised in Christ Jesus. And what will keep us going in life and what will keep us going in serving Jesus is not knowing that we can be used, but knowing that that God will fulfill his promises. We need to trust in the, that in the death of Jesus there's forgiveness for sins, for all of our sins, and for the sins of anyone else who turns to Jesus Christ. We need to trust that in the resurrection of Jesus there's power to make us new and to make others new whoever turns to Jesus Christ. We need to trust that God's spirit can and really will change us and others. We need to trust that God can fix the world, that as broken as the world is and as broken as it, as it seems to be getting, God can really fix that. We need to trust that God's judgment, which seems unfathomable to us, that he's, we need to trust that he's right and good in judging those who refuse to receive Jesus Christ. And although we're saved by trusting Jesus... We only need the tiniest faith which says, I'm, I'm with Christ and I trust him. And we need to grow in that trust every day. We need to grow in trusting that we're forgiven. And we need to grow in trusting that God can change us. And we need to grow in trusting that God will make us more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And you see, it's when we anchor our lives in those truths and in those gospel realities. It's when we anchor our lives there in those core promises of the gospel and in the truth of what God has done in Christ. It's then that our confidence in God overflows from that down into the rest of our lives. After all, if God can cover over the sins of millions and millions of people who entrust themselves to Jesus then how much more able is he to cover over your sins and my sins? And if God can defeat the powers of sin and death and hell, cosmic powers, then how much more trustworthy is he when it comes to overcoming the little challenges and the difficulties of daily life? We need to trust that God can do what he's promised in Christ. And as we trust that, We grow in confidence for trusting him in everything. Although things uh, might go from bad to worse at times in our lives when we're following Jesus, God reminds us here in this passage in Exodus that it's not outside his plans and purpose. This doesn't come as a surprise to God. He'll do what he says, uh, and he's shown that in Jesus. He's demonstrated that in Jesus. And you and I need to trust him in that. We need to trust him for the big promises of the gospel through which we're saved. And as we do that, we need to trust him for the small things of life as well, in which we serve him and we live for him according to his purposes and his calling on our lives in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for your great purposes in Jesus Christ that you are saving a people for yourself from every tribe and language and people and nation. And Lord, thank you that you have called many of us out of darkness and into the wonderful light of the gospel. Lord, thank you that we have seen and beheld your glory in Christ Jesus. And that beholding Christ, we will be changed. And we are being changed every day by your powerful Spirit with ever-increasing glory into the image of your beloved Son. And yet, Lord, we face every day so many obstacles and challenges to our faith. We seek to obey your calling, and we find ourselves frustrated and discouraged. We find ourselves up against opposition. We find ourselves... crushed, perplexed. We find ourselves rejected and unloved, perhaps, by the very people that you've called us to serve. Lord, help us to trust you that you'll do what you have promised. Help us to trust that you can use us, Lord, but Most of all, help us to trust that you will build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That through the words of the gospel, through your words on our lips and in our mouths and in our hearts, that you will call people to salvation in Jesus Christ and that you'll change people to be like Jesus. That you'll fix this world and one day make it new again. Lord, help us to believe that and to be anchored in that. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.